Well, uh, this morning I, I want to share some information with you. Um, as a part of our For You series, uh, we've created uh, a small journal. And basically, it's a, a journal with blank pages for you to have during this year. Because you see, during 2022, we're committed as a leadership team to helping you know that God is for you and helping the world know that the people of God are for them. And so out in the connecting place, for those of you who are on campus, uh, you can pick up one of these little journals to have to use during your devotions uh, during this year, and they're $2 a piece, unless you are a college student. If you're a university student, and it really isn't, doesn't matter if you're at Ball State, Ivy Tech, Anderson University, Indiana Wesleyan University, Taylor University, I, I've talked to people in the last three weeks who worship with us from all of those places, um, that, uh, that you, if you're a university student, we invite you to receive one of these as a personal gift from my wife Becky and I. Uh, we've made that available. That's something we want to give you as a college student. We want to encourage you during this year to learn the spiritual discipline of journaling. Um, I, I've been journaling now for over 30 years, and I have, I have the journals on a, on a shelf in my office, and I go back and I look and say, wow, God's done something amazing. Now, if you're online with us today or on demand later in the week, here's what you can do. Um, in the chat room, there's a link uh, for you who are online this morning. And if it's the same link with the connect card uh, that we have uh, for the QR codes here on campus. I checked it out just before service to make sure it works, and, and it will, because here's what you need to do. If you would like one of these, uh, and you're uh, online with us today, and you're a university student and you'd like a free one, or even if you would like to just have one, and we don't know where you are in the world, but if you can give us your physical address, if you'll go to that link and go through the, fill out the, your name, uh, there be your ad, your place to put your address or just go down to where it says, I have a question. And there in the box, uh, you can put in your physical address and we will mail you one of these because we want you, whether you're online or on campus, we want you to know that you're a part of our family here. And we encourage you to be a part of what God is doing in helping us as the people of God understand that he is for us and that he is for the people around us. So having said that, we're gonna continue our deep dive into the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you remember, we've been discovering some things about the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, some things that, quite honestly, go against the, the false narratives that we've learned often in the life of the church. For instance, we've learned that when Jesus was gathered, gathering the people together to share this, these, this information, he really wasn't giving them a checklist for how, how to get into the kingdom of God. If, if you do these things, then you become a part of the kingdom of God. No, instead, he was actually saying, hey, listen. Um, you are experiencing these things. Some of you are poor in spirit. Some of you do hunger and thirst for righteousness. Some of you, some of you are in a place where you're mourning. Some of you are in these different life situations. And what I want you to know is that you are blessed, not because of the conditions of your life, but because God is with us. The kingdom of God is in us. The kingdom of God is near to us. And, and so the, the, the Sermon on the Mount is, is this grand invitation to be included in the people of God. And then last week, we, we got into that place where he says, you know what, you really, you really need to know that if you're included, then, then you, you've got to really have a place where you understand that your attitudes, 
Your attitudes are as impactful as your actions. And, and so Jesus launches into that, and he starts with the Beatitudes, and then he, he goes into this thing about anger and, and how our attitudes affect our actions and, and how they affect others. And, and then, then Jesus, Jesus just goes right ahead, and he starts addressing the most, one of the most difficult questions in the first century. Because see, in the first century, people didn't value other people as people of God. In fact, remember we talked about that if you were blessed in the first century, they thought you were blessed if you were a Jewish male who was healthy and wealthy and religious. Those were the blessed people. And, and in, in that whole process, a culture had been established that, that had a hierarchy where there was a dominance of maleness and the dominance of maleness made caveats in the law of the Old Testament for the men. Uh, let, let me give you an example from a story you might know. The, the, the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. Do you remember that story from John chapter 8? If you've been around the church much, you've probably heard that story. There's a woman who is caught by some religious people. Literally, the text says, caught in the act of adultery. And, and she is brought to Jesus. And as she's brought to Jesus, the men, the religious men, the leaders of the community, drag her in front of Jesus, throw her at his feet, and say this. The law of Moses says this woman should be stoned to death because she has been caught in the act of adultery. And what do you say? Now, they were doing that to try to trip Jesus up, right? That They were doing that to try to set him as opposed to the law of Moses. But here's the interesting part of the story. When you read the law of Moses, it was supposed to be the man caught in adultery and the woman caught in adultery who were stoned to death. But read John 8. I've read it over and over and over again. It never says they brought the man. It says they brought the woman. And culturally, that's an example of what had been going on in all of these years where this, this culture had created a dominant factor, a hierarchy that said basically some of us are above the law and others of you have to do what the law says. And so here's Jesus saying to this crowd of people gathered, hey, listen, I want you to know that God is for you. I want you to know that he's inviting you into his kingdom. I want you to know that he wants you to be his people. And because he wants you to be his people, I, I, I want you to understand that your attitudes, your attitudes are as impactful as your actions. And while we're talking about our attitudes, let's talk about how we view people. And, and on this Valentine's Day weekend, as we've been hearing all of this about love, I think it's highly appropriate that we look at the way Jesus addressed the problem of this hit and miss hierarchy of the kingdom of God as it was perceived in that culture. And I would suggest to you this morning the way it's perceived in our culture. Listen, as I read, it'll be on the screens. From Matthew chapter five, Jesus, after he's talked about, about angry people, he starts this way. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. 
For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, what in the world is Jesus doing? He's, he's talked about anger. And now suddenly he, he turns and he doesn't address the women at all. He's addressing the men. Because he understands these are the people who have recreated the law in their own image. Now, ladies, please don't misunderstand me. The principle that Jesus is teaching applies to men and women. <laughs> the things we're going to look at today, they, they do apply to both men and women. And what Jesus is doing is in this context where, where there was this dichotomy, this 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 sense that the, the, the truth was not being fully shared, he goes right at the heart of the matter and says to the guys, hey, listen, you've created a world where women are just property. You want to divorce a woman? You just walk out to the city gates and three times you proclaim, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and you're divorced and suddenly she has no source of income and suddenly she has no, no sense of of well-being, she, she's, a, she's literally rejected by society and her world is totally devastated. You've quite honestly sentenced her to a life of either prostitution or death. And that's not right. That's not the way you were created. You were created in the image of God. You were created as a child of God. And so was she. And he goes right at the heart of the issue with this passage. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Do you know that, again, remember the story from John 8 that I just told you? The culture wouldn't accuse the men of adultery. The men were allowed in the culture to have mistresses, to have affairs, and not be held accountable. But a woman, a woman who was sexually active with someone other than her husband, lost everything, all the respect, any source of income other than a sexual source of income. And so what happens is that, that Jesus said, look, that's what you've heard. But I say to you, I say to you that everyone, everyone who looks at someone with lustful intent, we're going to talk about that word in a minute, Anyone that looks at someone with lustful intent is already committing adultery. It's, it's not as if you just have to physically have an affair. No, there's a sense in which your, your entire soul is wrapped up. Remember, I've just taught you, your attitude is as impactful as your action. What Jesus is dealing with is, is this counter-cultural narrative about sexuality, this countercultural narrative about the value of people, this countercultural narrative about what it really means to live in the kingdom of God. And what he holds out for us is hope that when we, when we really connect with Jesus, when we really connect with God through Jesus, there's a possibility, there's a, there's a promise, there's a, there's a way of life that is better than the way our culture tells us we have. Because you see, here's the deal. We live in a world 
that objectifies people for the sake of sexual gratification. If you don't believe me, watch the Super Bowl tonight. If you don't believe me, watch the commercials. If you don't believe me, look it over. See what's on your Twitter feed. See what's in your Facebook feed. See what's on the billboards around you. See what's on the Grammy Award winning shows. See what's on the television. See what is on Hulu. See what is all around you. What we've done is we've, we've taken away the, the understanding that all people are made in the image of God. And that all people being made in the image of God are valued by God. Instead, we've made people objects. Objects that, that quite honestly, in our culture, are, exist for our gratification. Now, I know, I know some of you hear a preacher start talking like that, and you go like, well, yeah, well, I've heard these preachers before. It all started in the 1960s with the free love movement, and you guys just keep beating the drum. And No, no, listen, it started long before that. I mean, come on. Have you seen the pictures in Pompeii? Have you seen the, 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 the sexual ethic of the Roman Empire? Have you understood historically that what the church, what Jesus brought to the world was so countercultural that the reason that people came to know Jesus was because men and women who followed Jesus were committed to each other and lived in a monogamous relationship and nobody else in the world was doing that. See, the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform us isn't just this feel-good religion. It isn't just this walk the aisle, kneel at an altar, get up and say, hey, I'm, I'm a new follower of Jesus, and then go back to living in every aspect just like the rest of the world. And I see, we, we live in a culture, we live in a society that, that objectifies people because here's, here's why. If I make you an object instead of knowing you're a person, then I don't have to deal with you except as I want to deal with you. But if, but if I value you as a person, if I see you as a child of God, if I see you as someone Jesus loves just as much as he loves me, then you're not someone that I use for my own means, my own methods, my own desires. And quite honestly, that's the world we live in right now. We live in a world where as many people who go to church are involved sexually in pornography, involved in extramarital affairs, in bondage to the things that happen as the people outside the church. We live, we live, if we're honest, in a very immoral age. And so did Jesus. And so did the people on the mountainside. And what Jesus is saying to them is the same thing that he's saying to us. Listen, in, in human beings, your sexuality is, is more than a biological function. I can't tell you how many times over the years I've I've talked with people who say, well, it's just sex. It's just a biological function. Animals do that. No. <laughs> no, see, in a human being, the, the act of sexual connection carries with it a connection of the soul. It carries with it a connection of who you are. 
These things that Jesus is teaching, they're not just rules so that he can say, hey, you know what? Whoever's, whoever's not doing what I say to do, you're wrong. No, that's not the intent. Remember, I told you a few weeks ago, been trying to tell you for months now, as we've walked through this pandemic together, there is no greater reason, no greater season than this season and this reason to tell the world that the world is living far below the way God created us to live. We're living far below our calling. And sometimes in the life of the church, we just kind of skate over the stuff. But this morning, I, I just... I just need you to know if we're going to take a deep dive into the Sermon on the Mount, there's a reason Jesus started with anger and then said, now let me address lust. Let me address your sexuality. Because Jesus knew. Jesus created us. This is the person who spoke human beings into being. This is the person who breathed life into us. He chooses to say, look, your attitudes are as impactful as your actions and your sexuality is a huge part of who you are. And by the way, you don't get to choose it. I'm not talking about your sexual identity in your mind. I'm talking about your created beingness in connection to God. Because the Bible's very plain in Genesis when it says quite clearly, men and women, male and female, he created them. And this morning, we, we've got to understand that when Jesus is looking at these men who have created a culture in which there's a hierarchy in which they are being treated differently, he's actually saying to us, listen, there's more to this than just a biological function. This is a matter of your soul. This is a matter of your, your personhood. And then he does something really interesting because quite honestly, there have been two false narratives in the world. One comes from the church or some parts of the church. The other comes from the world. The false narrative that comes from the church is this. Sex is bad. All sexual desire is bad. In fact, you can trace that theologically back to Augustine of Hippo in the 4th and 5th century who, who wrote about the evils of sexual desire. But that's not what Jesus says. Oh, and by the way, the, the other false narrative that's out comes from the world that says all sexual expression is good. If it feels good, go ahead. As long as people are consenting. I mean, that's the world we live in right now. There's no boundary set. There's no understanding of the connection of a soul and the act of sexual activity. Instead, it's, it's all about objectifying the other person for my own gratification. And so what Jesus says is, is look, I want you to know that, that it's not just the act of adultery. It's not just the act of sexual activity. But it's your heart. So Jesus teaches us. He uses a term, lustful intent, is the way the English Standard Version connects it, translates it. And he says this, lustful intent is just as damaging to our soul as sexual intimacy with someone who's not our spouse. See, you may not have heard this in a long time from the pulpit of a church. You may not have ever heard it from the platform of a church. But Jesus teaches us. God designed us 
for sexual activity to be within the confines of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. The scriptures are, are more clear than our culture wants to admit. And when, when Jesus is talking to these people gathered on the mountainside, living in this kind of culture, he says, hey, listen, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand that, that who you are is connected to your sexual being. I want you to understand that your attitudes are as impactful as your actions. And what I want you to understand is that who you are in Christ is often different than who you are in relationship to the world. And that who you are in Christ is my promise to you of how I designed you to be. And, and this lustful intent the word, I actually practice this word. It's a Greek word. It's called epithemia. Epithemia is a word that, that basically talks about craving, desiring, fixating. In fact, here's, here's a definition for you. Uh, epithemia is, is not ordinary sexual attraction. It, it's an intentional objectification of another person for your own gratification. When Jesus is saying, listen, I'm telling you right now that, that if you lust after someone with your heart, that is, that is different. It's worse. It's just as bad as committing adultery. He's not talking about noticing someone else's sexuality. He's not talking about sexual attraction. He's talking about this lustful intent, to use the English word. Uh, let, me, let me explain it like, like this. Um, when I was a, a kid growing up, and some of you have heard me tell this story, but I, I have two brothers. And I have a father who was a pastor, but was very committed to raising us in such a way that that we would understand that just because we were preacher's kids, just because we were preacher's boys, we weren't immune to anything that was going on in the world. And so he was very, very intent on talking to us from an early age about our sexuality and about our sexual activity. And he used to say this to us all the time. Boys, listen, if you are walking down the street and you see a beautiful woman and you go, that's a beautiful woman. That is not lust. But boys, when you walk around the street three times to see her three more times, you've just started to lust. See, that's that fixation. That when we, when, when, and, and listen to our culture. Listen to the music you're going to hear in your Spotify account this week. Listen to the music played at halftime of a Super Bowl tonight. Watch the ads. Understand that the fixation on a physical attribute, to observe a physical attribute, that is a normal way. That's sexual desire. That's what you've been created to have. You've been created to have that desire and express that desire within a covenant relationship called marriage. But when you begin to turn that other person into an object for your own gratification, 
then, then that's when Jesus says, that's just as damaging to your soul. That, that's something that rips at the very core of the way he created you to be. And so Jesus, Jesus proposes something different for the people in the first century gathered on a mountainside and for us. Jesus proposes that we find our fulfillment, our fulfillment as a person, our fulfillment sexually in a covenant relationship through his presence in our life. I, wanna, I want you to get that. Jesus proposes that we find our fulfillment in a covenant relationship through his presence in our life. You see, if it has to do with your soul, if it's something that can either enhance your soul or damage your soul, Jesus is very concerned about you. And what Jesus is saying to these people is, is look, I, I want you to get this through your head. I want you to get this through your heart. I want you to get this in the way that you live. Your sexual desires are not entirely bad. You were created with that part of who you are. But the expression of those is to be designed in this covenant relationship so that your physical intimacy, your sexual intimacy is to be something that is parallel to, connected to, the commitment you have to the person. And by the way, the greatest commitment, the commitment that should release you into a, a full-blown expression of the way you were created is this permanent commitment called marriage. In fact, that's why Jesus kept talking in Matthew chapter 5. L listen to what he, he goes on to say. It's also said that whoever divorces their wife, again, he's talking to these men who've flipped it. Ladies, it works both ways for us. Let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's the, the practice I was talking to you about earlier, about you'd go to the city gate. The man who was the dominant cultural figure would divorce the woman by simply saying, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And then he said, but I say to everyone who divorces their wife or their husband, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes them commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced person commits adultery. Now, I want to be careful on this because here's what I know. I know that Jesus makes all things new and that all sins are forgivable. There's only one unforgivable sin. Please understand that this morning. I'm not here to shame anybody. I'm not here to guilt anybody. I'm not here to anger anybody. I'm just here to let you know that many of us are living far below the way we were created to live. And this sexual expression, the way God designed it to happen, is to happen in this covenant relationship. And this covenant relationship is one in which as we express that, it's tied to the commitment we have to the other person. And that's why he's talking about this, this concept of, you know what, when, when, you, when you walk away from the covenant, when you break covenant, then that's, 
the breaking of that relationship. See, Jesus proposes, hear it again, that we find our fulfillment in a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean that, that, it's, that, that everything is always easy. I mean, think about it. Jesus had a covenant relationship with the children of Israel. Read the Old Testament. It is not easy and it is, and it is not perfect. Many times they fail in that relationship. But when they fail in that relationship, they always discover that God reaches out and he brings love, forgiveness, mercy. And the fact of the matter is, that's what Jesus is trying to say to the people on the mountainside. And what he's trying to say to us is that authentic love values others as being created in the image of God. And when we value people, not as objects for our gratification, but as people who are children of God, then, then something changes in us. In John chapter 8, Jesus, in talking to this woman who had been brought before him, I, I love that story. I love the story for a number of reasons. First of all, when they bring the woman to Jesus, you remember? There, there's some of the manuscripts that say that when they brought the woman to Jesus, Jesus knelt down. Some just say he began to draw in the dirt. But, but some of them say, I like this one, he wrote the names of the men who had brought her in the dirt. Like, here you go, Joe, Bill. Why did he write their names? Because before he knelt and started doodling in the dust, he had looked at them and said, okay, fine. You want to know what I say? The law of Moses says people caught in adultery are to be stoned to death. So I'll tell you what. The one of you who has no sin in their life you throw the first stone. And, and these men already had the stones in their hands. These men were ready. And, and what Jesus does is he says, look, you can't treat this woman like she's just an object for someone's gratification. You can't hold others to that kind of standard because your attitudes are as impactful as your actions. And you and the people around you are children of God. And you have to value them that way. Don't allow your base desires to cause you to treat someone else as if they are not a child of God. So I'll tell you what. If you're without sin, you throw the rock. You throw the first stone. And you know what happens? That's when he starts doodling in the dust. And like writing there. Now can you imagine standing in the crowd with a rock in your hand to condemn someone else for their, for their sin? And Jesus starts writing your name in the dirt. <laughs> I love the way John puts it. He says, the men dropped 
their stones one by one, starting with the oldest and then to the youngest. And then they walked away. And after they're all gone, there's this dialogue. It's in John chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, the last, last two verses of the story. Jesus quits drawing in the dirt. And I, and I think at this point, she's been thrown in the dirt. And, and the image I get is, is that here's Jesus. And he's just doodling in the dirt listening to the dropping of the stones. And then he looks her eye to eye. I think that's part of why he knelt. So that he could look at her eye to eye and say, is nobody gonna throw a rock? Where are the ones who brought you here? And she says, no one, sir. No one. And here are the most amazing words. Jesus looks at the woman whose sin had been made public, whose shame and guilt had been paraded in front of an entire village. And he says, if they don't condemn you, neither do I. But here are the words. Go and sin no more. See, for those of you who are wrestling with your sexual desires, for those of you who are sexually active outside of marriage, you need to hear those words today. For those of you who are caught in the trap of pornography, the way it grips your soul and dominates your time, I have people ask me all the time, how, how, how do I break that? Can, can I can I tell you, it's taken me years to finally figure out how to help people break this. It's really, really important and yet at the same time really simple. You see, authentic love values the other person as a child of God. Which means that that person on that phone, in that picture, that person in that video, that, that person in that strip club, that person in that affair with you is not an object for your sexual gratification. They're a child of God. And when you begin to look at them and see them and value them as a child of God, suddenly it changes your whole perspective. Because now suddenly... That's your brother, that's your sister. That's not an object. And they don't exist for your gratification. They exist to be loved authentically by someone who's willing to make a covenant and a commitment. Every time I stand with a young couple in their wedding and I ask them to repeat their vows to each other, I ask them to repeat their vows of covenant because that's, that's the location, that's the place, that's the, that's the freedom 
for the use, for the expression, for the enjoyment of the sexual desire you've been given in that covenant relationship. So this morning, no shame, no guilt, just an understanding that Jesus, Jesus is for you. And the things he's inviting you to are not to shove you down. They're not to restrict you. They're not designed to rob you of your fun in life. They are designed to set you free. There's an old, old song of the church of God written by a man named Barney Warren. And if you want, you can see Barney Warren's writing cabin. It was actually on a campground over in Ohio. And a few years ago, some folks took it apart, moved it from Ohio, and put it back together on the other side of Fifth Street. The same street this, this church is located on here in Anderson. Just across from the university, Anderson University. You'll see this old cabin if you're going from this church, it'll be on your left. And the man who wrote hundreds of songs in that cabin wrote these words about what it means to be a child of God. And this morning, that's how I'd like us to, to finish this service. It's like how I'd like us to understand Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount about lust and adultery is that the key to understanding it is the authentic love of valuing another person as a child of God. And that, my friends, I promise you, if you can cultivate that, that view of someone else, it'll set you free to a life you were designed to live.